Chapter Six of the Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Isabel Archer was a young person of many theories. Her imagination was remarkably active. It had been her fortune to possess a finer mind than most of the persons among whom her lot was cast, to have a larger perception of surrounding facts, and to care for knowledge that was tinged with the unfamiliar. It is true that among her contemporaries she passed for a young woman of extraordinary profundity, for these excellent people never withheld their admiration from a reach of intellect of which they themselves were not conscious, and spoke of Isabel as a prodigy of learning, a creature reported to have read the classic authors, in translations. Her paternal aunt, Mrs. Varian, once spread the rumour that Isabel was writing a book, Mrs. Varian having a reverence for books, and averred that the girl would distinguish herself in print. Mrs. Varian thought highly of literature, for which she entertained that esteem that is connected with a sense of privation. Her own large house, remarkable for its assortment of mosaic tables and decorated ceilings, was unfurnished with a library, and in the way of printed volumes contained nothing but half a dozen novels and paper on a shelf in the apartment of one of the Miss Varians. Practically, Mrs. Varian's acquaintance with literature was confined to the New York interviewer, and as she very justly said, after you had read the interviewer, you had lost all faith in culture. Her tendency with this was rather to keep the interviewer out of the way of her daughters. She was determined to bring them up properly, and they read nothing at all. Her impression with regard to Isabel's labours was quite illusory. The girl had never attempted to write a book, and had no desire for the laurels of authorship. She had no talent for expression, and too little of the consciousness of genius. She only had a general idea that people were right when they treated her as if she were rather superior. Whether or no she were superior, people were right in admiring her if they thought her so, for it seemed to her often that her mind moved more quickly than theirs, and this encouraged an impatience that might easily be confounded with superiority. It may be affirmed without delay that Isabel was probably very liable to the sin of self-esteem. She often surveyed with complacency the field of her own nature. She was in the habit of taking for granted on scanty evidence that she was right. She treated herself to occasions of homage. Meanwhile her errors and delusions were frequently such as a biographer interested in preserving the dignity of his subject must shrink from specifying. Her thoughts were a tangle of vague outlines which had never been corrected by the judgment of people speaking with authority. In matters of opinion, she had had her own way, and it had led her into a thousand ridiculous zigzags. At moments she discovered she was grotesquely wrong, and then she treated herself to a week of passionate humility. After this, she held her head higher than ever again, for it was of no use, she had an unquenchable desire to think well of herself. She had a theory that it was only under this provision life was worth living, that one should be one of the best, should be conscious of a fine organization, she couldn't help knowing that her organization was fine, should move in a realm of light, of natural wisdom, of happy impulse, of inspiration gracefully chronic. It was almost as unnecessary to cultivate doubt of oneself as to cultivate doubt of one's best friend. One should try to be one's own best friend and to give oneself, in this manner, distinguished company. The girl had a certain nobleness of imagination which rendered her a good many services and played her a great many tricks. 
she spent half her time in thinking of beauty and bravery and magnanimity she had a fixed determination to regard the world as a place of brightness of free expansion of irresistible action she held it must be detestable to be afraid or ashamed she had an infinite hope that she should never do anything wrong she had resented so strongly after discovering them her mere errors of feeling the discovery always made her tremble as if she had escaped from a trap which might have caught her and smothered her that the chance of inflicting a sensible injury upon another person presented only as a contingency caused her at moments to hold her breath that always struck her as the worst thing that could happen to her on the whole reflectively she was in no uncertainty about the things that were wrong she had no love of their look but when she fixed them hard she recognized them it was wrong to be mean to be jealous to be false to be cruel she had seen very little of the evil of the world but she had seen women who lied and who tried to hurt each other seeing such things had quickened her high spirit it seemed indecent not to scorn them of course the danger of a high spirit was the danger of inconsistency the danger of keeping up the flag after the place has surrendered a sort of behaviour so crooked as to be almost a dishonour to the flag but isabel who knew little of the sorts of artillery to which young women are exposed flattered herself that such contradictions would never be noted in her own conduct her life should always be in harmony with the most pleasing impression she should produce she would be what she appeared and she would appear what she was sometimes she went so far as to wish that she might find herself some day in a difficult position so that she should have the pleasure of being as heroic as the occasion demanded altogether with her meagre knowledge her inflated ideals her confidence at once innocent and dogmatic her temper at once exacting and indulgent her mixture of curiosity and fastidiousness of vivacity and indifference her desire to look very well and to be if possible even better her determination to see to try to know her combination of the delicate desultory flame-like spirit and the eager and personal creature of conditions she would be an easy victim of scientific criticism if she were not intended to awaken on the reader's part an impulse more tender and more purely expectant it was one of her theories that isabel archer was very fortunate in being independent and that she ought to make some very enlightened use of that state she never called it the state of solitude much less of singleness she thought such descriptions weak and besides her sister lily constantly urged her to come and abide she had a friend whose acquaintance she had made shortly before her father's death who offered so high an example of useful activity that isabel always thought of her as a model henrietta stackpole had the advantage of an admired ability she was thoroughly launched in journalism and her letters to the interviewer from washington newport the white mountains and other places were universally quoted isabel pronounced them with confidence ephemeral but she esteemed the courage energy and good humour of the writer who without parents and without property had adopted three of the children of an infirm and widowed sister and was paying their school bills out of the proceeds of her literary labour henrietta was in the van of progress and had clear-cut views on most subjects her cherished desire had long been to come to europe and write a series of letters to the interviewer from the radical point of view 
an enterprise the less difficult as she knew perfectly in advance what her opinions would be and to how many objections most european institutions lay open when she heard that isabel was coming she wished to start at once thinking naturally that it would be delightful the two should travel together she had been obliged however to postpone this enterprise she thought isabel a glorious creature and had spoken of her covertly in some of her letters though she never mentioned the fact to her friend who would not have taken pleasure in it and was not a regular student of the interviewer henrietta for isabel was chiefly a proof that a woman might suffice to herself and be happy her resources were of the obvious kind but even if one had not the journalistic talent and a genius for guessing as henrietta had what the public was going to want one was not therefore to conclude that one had no vocation no beneficent aptitude of any sort and resign oneself to being frivolous and hollow isabel was stoutly determined not to be hollow if one should wait with the right patience one would find some happy work to one's hand of course among her theories this young lady was not without a collection of views on the subject of marriage the first on the list was a conviction of the vulgarity of thinking too much of it from lapsing into eagerness on this point she earnestly prayed she might be delivered she held that a woman ought to be able to live to herself in the absence of exceptional flimsiness and that it was perfectly possible to be happy without the society of a more or less coarse-minded person of another sex the girl's prayer was very sufficiently answered something pure and proud that there was in her something cold and dry an unappreciated suitor with a taste for analysis might have called it had hitherto kept her from any great vanity of conjecture on the article of possible husbands few of the men she saw seemed worth a ruinous expenditure and it made her smile to think that one of them should present himself as an incentive to hope and a reward of patience deep in her soul it was the deepest thing there lay a belief that if a certain light should dawn she could give herself completely but this image on the whole was too formidable to be attractive isabel's thoughts hovered about it but they seldom rested on it long after a little it ended in alarms it often seemed to her that she thought too much about herself you could have made her colour any day in the year by calling her a rank egoist she was always planning out her development desiring her perfection observing her progress her nature had in her conceit a certain garden-like quality a suggestion of perfume and murmuring boughs of shady bowers and lengthening vistas which made her feel that introspection was after all an exercise in the open air and that a visit to the recesses of one's spirit was harmless when one returned from it with a lapful of roses but she was often reminded that there were other gardens in the world than those of her remarkable soul and that there were moreover a great many places which were not gardens at all only dusky pestiferous tracts planted thick with ugliness and misery in the current of that repaid curiosity on which she had lately been floating which had conveyed her to this beautiful old england and might carry her much further still she often checked herself with the thought of the thousands of people who were less happy than herself a thought which for the moment made her fine full consciousness appear a kind of immodesty what should one do with the misery of the world in a scheme of the agreeable for one's self it must be confessed that this question never held her long she was too young too impatient to live too unacquainted with pain she always returned to her theory that a young woman whom after all every one thought clever should begin by getting a general impression of life 
this impression was necessary to prevent mistakes and after it should be secured she might make the unfortunate condition of others a subject of special attention england was a revelation to her and she found herself as diverted as a child at a pantomime in her infantine excursions to europe she had seen only the continent and seen it from the nursery window paris not london was her father's mecca and into many of his interests there his children had naturally not entered the images of that time moreover had grown faint and remote and the old-world quality in everything that she now saw had all the charm of strangeness her uncle's house seemed a picture made real no refinement of the agreeable was lost upon isabel the rich perfection of garden court at once revealed a world and gratified a need the large low rooms with brown ceilings and dusky corners the deep embrasures and curious casements the quiet light on dark polished panels the deep greenness outside that seemed always peeping in the sense of well-ordered privacy in the centre of a property a place where sounds were felicitously accidental where the tread was muffled by the earth itself and in the thick mild air all friction dropped out of contact and all shrillness out of talk these things were much to the taste of our young lady whose taste played a considerable part in her emotions she formed a fast friendship with her uncle and often sat by his chair when he had had it moved out to the lawn he passed hours in the open air sitting with folded hands like a placid homely household god a god of service who had done his work and received his wages and was trying to grow used to weeks and months made up only of off days isabel amused him more than she suspected the effect she produced upon people was often different from what she supposed and he frequently gave himself the pleasure of making her chatter it was by this term that he qualified her conversation which had much of the point observable in that of the young ladies of her country to whom the ear of the world is more directly presented than to their sisters in other lands like the mass of american girls isabel had been encouraged to express herself her remarks had been attended to she had been expected to have emotions and opinions many of her opinions had doubtless but a slender value many of her emotions passed away in the utterance but they had left a trace in giving her the habit of seeming at least to feel and think and in imparting moreover to her words when she was really moved that prompt vividness which so many people had regarded as a sign of superiority mr touchett used to think that she reminded him of his wife when his wife was in her teens it was because she was fresh and natural and quick to understand to speak so many characteristics of her niece that he had fallen in love with mrs touchett he never expressed this analogy to the girl herself however for if mrs touchett had once been like isabel isabel was not at all like mrs touchett the old man was full of kindness for her it was a long time as he said since they had had any young life in the house and our rustling quickly moving clear-voiced heroine was as agreeable to his sense as the sound of flowing water he wanted to do something for her and wished she would ask it of him she would ask nothing but questions it is true that of these she asked a quantity her uncle had a great fund of answers though her pressure sometimes came in forms that puzzled him she questioned him immensely about england about the british constitution the english character the state of politics the manners and customs of the royal family the peculiarities of the aristocracy the way of living and thinking of his neighbours and in begging to be enlightened on these points 
she usually inquired whether they corresponded with the descriptions in the books. The old man always looked at her a little with his fine, dry smile, while he smoothed down the shawl spread across his legs. "'The books?' he once said. "'Well, I don't know much about the books. You must ask Ralph about that. I've always ascertained for myself, got my information in the natural form. I never asked many questions, even. I just kept quiet and took notice. Of course I've had very good opportunities, better than what a young lady would naturally have. I'm of an inquisitive disposition, though you mightn't think it if you were to watch me. However much you might watch me, I should be watching you more. I've been watching these people for upwards of thirty-five years, and I don't hesitate to say that I've acquired considerable information. It's a very fine country, on the whole, finer, perhaps, than we give it credit for on the other side. Several improvements I should like to see introduced. But the necessity of them doesn't seem to be generally felt as yet. When the necessity of a thing is generally felt, they usually manage to accomplish it. But they seem to feel pretty comfortable about waiting till then. I certainly feel more at home among them than I expected to when I first came over. I suppose it's because I've had a considerable degree of success. When you're successful, you naturally feel more at home. Do you suppose that if I'm successful I shall feel at home? Isabel asked. I should think it very probable, and you certainly will be successful. They like American young ladies very much over here. They show them a great deal of kindness. But you mustn't feel too much at home, you know. Oh, I'm by no means sure it will satisfy me, Isabel judicially emphasized. I like the place very much, but I'm not sure I shall like the people. The people are very good people, especially if you like them. I've no doubt they're good, Isabel rejoined. But are they pleasant in society? They won't rob me nor beat me, but will they make themselves agreeable to me? That's what I like people to do. I don't hesitate to say so, because I always appreciate it. I don't believe they're very nice to girls. They're not nice to them in the novels. I don't know about the novels, said Mr. Touchett. I believe the novels have a great deal, but I don't suppose they're very accurate. We once had a lady who wrote novels staying here. She was a friend of Ralph's, and he asked her down. She was very positive, quiet up to everything. But she was not the sort of person you could depend on for evidence. Too free a fancy. I suppose that was it. She afterwards published a work of fiction in which she was understood to have given a representation, something in the nature of a caricature, as you might say, of my unworthy self. I didn't read it, but Ralph just handed me the book with the principal passages marked. It was understood to be a description of my conversation. American peculiarities, nasal twang, Yankee notions, stars and stripes. Well, it was not at all accurate. She couldn't have listened very attentively. I had no objection to her giving a report of my conversation if she liked, but I didn't like the idea that she hadn't taken the trouble to listen to it. Of course I talk like an American. I can't talk like a Hottentot. However I talk, I've made them understand me pretty well over here. But I don't talk like the old gentleman in that lady's novel. He wasn't an American. We wouldn't have him over there at any price. I just mention that fact to show you that they're not always accurate. Of course, as I've no daughters, and as Mrs. Touchett resides in Florence, I haven't had much chance to notice about the young ladies. It sometimes appears as if the young women in the lower class were not very well treated. 
but I guess their position is better in the upper, and even to some extent in the middle. Gracious! Isabel exclaimed. How many classes have they? About fifty, I suppose. Well, I don't know that I ever counted them. I never took much notice of the classes. That's the advantage of being an American here. You don't belong to any class. I hope so, said Isabel. Imagine one's belonging to an English class. Well, I guess some of them are pretty comfortable, especially towards the top. But for me there are only two classes of people. The people I trust and the people I don't. Of those two, my dear Isabel, you belong to the first. I'm much obliged to you, said the girl quickly. Her way of taking compliments seemed sometimes rather dry. She got rid of them as rapidly as possible. But as regards this she was sometimes misjudged. She was thought insensible to them, whereas in fact she was simply unwilling to show how infinitely they pleased her. To show that was to show too much. "'I'm sure the English are very conventional,' she added. "'They've got everything pretty well fixed,' Mr. Touchett admitted. "'It's all settled beforehand. They don't leave it to the last moment.' "'I don't like to have everything settled beforehand.' said the girl. I like more unexpectedness. Her uncle seemed amused at her distinctness of preference. Well, it's settled beforehand that you'll have great success, he rejoined. I suppose you'll like that. I shall not have success if they're too stupidly conventional. I'm not in the least stupidly conventional. I'm just the contrary. That's what they won't like. No, no, you're all wrong said the old man. You can't tell what they'll like. They're very inconsistent. That's their principal interest. Ah, oh, well, said Isabel, standing before her uncle with her hands clasped about the belt of her black dress and looking up and down the lawn. That will suit me perfectly. End of chapter 6